All right, we are here on Wednesday, March 30th, and we're going to be looking at the, the uh, book, the Epistle of Galatians. So turn in your Bibles to Galatians. This past Sunday, we're talking about the parables of the mustard, mustard seed and the parable of the leaven, and uh, there was one section of Scripture I wasn't able to get to because of time, but as I look back over that, I realized that because that's Escalations 5 that I was going to read, I was read part something out of that. So, looking over the book of Galatians, I thought it would be good to go back to the beginning of it and introduce Galatians, go over why Paul wrote it. And it was for the reason of leaven, which is false doctrine, being introduced into the churches. So, uh, we're going to read through some of that tonight. I don't know how far into Galatians we'll get, but um, just kind of wanted to go over it, because this, this is just a really good example of leaven, what the Bible calls leaven. Leaven is just that the word that we would the, the word we would use today would be yeast, uh, that uh, item you put into bread to make it sourdough bread to make it really good, and to fluff up. You take your regular dough, you you knead it, and then you put a little leaven in there, and then you set it over, out of the way. You got a little bit of warmth around it. You put some, maybe put some plastic over it, and then you watch it over time. You go do what you want to do, and it starts to rise and rise. As the yeast permeates the bread, the dough, it starts to rise up, and it swells up. If you were to hit it, it could collapse, right? If, so imagine a church setting where you introduce yeast, and yeast makes things good and fun and more desirable, and you draw more and more people in. Well, if that's what you base your church on, by pleasing everyone, how easy it is for that church to collapse. Because it's built on something that's not sturdy and real and solid. So we got to be careful not to introduce, just for the sake of bringing more people in, uh, false doctrine. Because false doctrine preaches really well, and you can actually make it line up with the way humans think. There's a whole lot of false doctrine that just lines up with the way humans just feel, with their emotions, and... You know, our ways are so different than God's ways. And we need to be a little uncomfortable when we come into the presence of God. We need to have that awe of this is God, creator of the universe. This is someone to fear. This, this God that we serve, he is an amazing God. And we should fear him. And that's a good kind of fear. <clears throat> All right. So, just a little background, and I'm uh, reading out of the Believer's Bible Commentary. 
And we have someone here who has a new one. Happy birthday. Very good commentary, very just basic, simple. I, I, I'm, I'm really liking it a lot. Okay, so during his early missionary journeys, the Apostle Paul visited Asia Minor, which is basically the area that we would know of as Turkey today, preaching the glorious message that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Many of his hearers were saved, and churches were formed, several of them in Galatia. The inhabitants of Galatia were known to be restless, warlike, and changeable. All right, well, if you're changeable, that's good in a way, but could be bad if you're easily changed. After Paul had left this area, so, so the, the guy who came in and preached the real gospel... He came in and got all this stuff going. A bunch of people were converted. They had to set up churches. Okay, we got this church going. Now we got that church over there going, and we're, we're putting people in place. Pastors and elders, you know, are being formed and built up in these churches. And then Paul leaves, and what happens when he leaves? False teachers entered the churches and introduced wrong doctrine. They taught that salvation was by faith in Christ plus keeping the law. Anytime you add anything to the grace of the bloodshed salvation that happened on Calvary. But again, if you add something to it, see, if you was to preach Jesus alone, just Jesus and the shed blood, and that's all you preached, it irritates people. It'll end up causing problems in the church. All you got to do, though, is mention Jesus, preach a little bit about him, but add other things to it, and it'll be a wonderful message. People will gladly hear something like that. So this went over really well to these Galatians, adding something to it. Think about it. In, in life, we are rewarded for doing we're criticized for being lazy, criticized for not putting forth the efforts to learn and increase in knowledge and all these things, and we get pay raises if we do a good job. And so all of human life is about doing better and succeeding and all that. Nothing wrong with that in human life, but when you try to put that in with your relationship with God and try to earn salvation then we got a problem. Their message was a mixture of Christianity and Judaism. Judaism is the Jewish religion. Okay? Christianity, you should know what that is. Also, it's a mixture of grace and law. A mixture of Christ and Moses. They also tried to turn the Galatians away from Paul by saying he was not a genuine apostle of the Lord, and therefore his message was not, was not reliable. All right, what do you do to a person who's speaking the truth? Cancel him. They're trying to cancel him. They sought to destroy confidence in the message by undermining the confidence in the messenger. 
many of the Galatian Christians were affected by their evil suggestions. So these false teachers were really causing a problem. What sorrow and disappointment must have filled Paul's heart when such news from Galatia reached him? Had his labors among these people been in vain? Could the Christians still be rescued from these Judaistic, legalistic teachings? Paul was stirred to swift and decisive action. He took up his pen and wrote this indignant letter to his beloved children in the faith. In it, he sets forth the true character of salvation as being given by grace from the beginning to end. From beginning to end. Not earned by law-keeping, either in whole or in part. Good works are not a condition of salvation, but a fruit of it. The Christian has died to the law. He leads a life of holiness, not by his own efforts, but by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. So, those of you who are in Sunday school, you, that's very familiar to you. Now that we're in Romans chapter 8, that's what we are uh, talking about. We, we, we have died to the law because the old man is crucified, so the old man is dead. And we are no longer bound to the law. And we are free to marry another, which is Jesus Christ. And He's the one who justifies us, who cures the, uh, the penalty of sin. It's, it's done away with. When you truly believe, then the penalty of sin is done for. You don't have to worry about going to hell for your sins. You don't have to worry about that anymore when you're truly born again. And then also... Jesus gives you, by uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, He sent the Comforter, He sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwells us, which is giving us the power to have a successful Christian life, and we don't have to sin anymore, so therefore we've been delivered from the power of sin. Not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin also. And all of us believe that in varying degrees... Some say, oh, well, we're still in this human flesh. We're going to sin every now and then because they got things they still don't want to get rid of. Hopefully, with more reading of the Word and, and uh, more prayer and, and, and just being convicted by the Holy Ghost, they'll change and, and realize. I know people who I, I met with them, had Bible study with them, I've, met, I've had people who just were in all kinds of things, addictive type lifestyles, and they just got saved and they just got rid of all of it. <clears throat> Others, I know a man who had been on crack cocaine for years, alcoholic, uh, tobacco use, and whatever else. And he got saved, and he got rid of alcohol. But the other things were still in his life. And some people say, oh, he's not really saved. He's not really saved. He would get rid of all of it. <clears throat> Wasn't long, he called up his drug dealer and said, no more. Oh, yeah, okay, sure. I've heard that a million times from all of the others. Drug dealer didn't think nothing of it. Yeah, he'll be back around. After a couple of weeks, the drug dealer's calling him back and said, 
what's up? You got somebody else you're dealing with? No, I, I'm, I'm done with it. I already told you that. He's like, really? You're serious about this? He's like, oh, yeah. And he shared the gospel with him. And then, after getting away from that, wasn't long, he's like, you know what? Smoking's not good either. I just, I really need to get rid of that too, and got that out of his life. And that's the way he's been living for years now. I see him quite often. I know how he lives. Goes to church, goes to the goes to Saturday morning men's breakfasts, and I always have somebody come in and speak, and he's always part of that. Very successful, but who am I to judge where he's at in his Christian walk? He kept doing better and better and better, and finally he, 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 he got there, where most people would say, now, yeah, he's good now. We've got to be careful how we judge others, there's certain things that people may have done in their past where they wouldn't be allowed to do certain jobs anymore. We, they come into the church, you accept them, and you got to say they've embezzled a bunch of money. You, you probably don't want them to be your treasurer. And they should understand why. If they get all bent out of shape that you won't let them be the treasurer, then you know something's wrong in their heart. But they come in and say, I'm willing to do it, but my past says this, and I'll totally understand if you don't want me to be. I'd be like, yeah, he's a good candidate. Might be able to put him in that position. You know, a former alcoholic, you go out and do mission work, don't send that person into the bar to, mission, you know, to do mission work in those areas. Why, why do that? We got we to know where our past is, and we, we are truly still in a human body, but... Do we really believe that the old body is crucified and we're a new creature in Christ? We've got to be smart about it and still remember that we still are. In the real, we still do have this body that could possibly sin again, which would be terrible, but we say things we shouldn't say, think things we shouldn't think. And are, does that destroy you? Do you, you have a bad thought? Oh, I'm... I'm, I'm I'm not saved, and you go all the way back, start all over again, or do you just realize you you just that those things are going to happen until the day that you die and go to heaven and receive your glorified body, you know, which will be one day in the future. But when we are in that state, we are now glorified. We have not only been delivered from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but then the presence of sin. We won't even have a chance to sin anymore. That's what we're looking forward to one day. Now, uh, Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Paul, I like the way Paul writes his letters. I think that's a good idea to state who you are. The way we do letters, we sign off at the very end. So you look at the end and say, oh, I know who this is from. But Paul, he... He states it right away. You know exactly who's writing this letter. He's writing it to the people of Galatia, but he probably didn't even know it when he started writing it. He was writing it to us too. The purpose back then was for Galatia. The things that they were struggling with and dealing with, we're dealing with them today. That's why the book of Galatians made it in the Bible. Because God knew we would need it just like they did back then. Paul, an apostle, 
not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. He doesn't have a whole lot of nice things to say here, like uh, uh, your faith is heard of around the world, uh, you're the church of God, uh, the faithful in Christ Jesus. He starts a lot of his letters out like that. You know, I don't. I, I, we we do not cease to pray for you. We're always praying for you, and you are just amazing. You're awesome. He doesn't have a whole lot of great things to say. He's really wanting to get to his point, and he says, "And all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galatia." And he says, "Grace be to you, and peace from God the Father, and from our Lord Jesus Christ." And that order, grace, has to come before peace. You'll never have peace with God unless you first receive the grace from Him. If you've, if you've received the grace, not trying to do anything to get it, not trying to pay for it, but you receive the grace free of charge, and then when that really happens, you'll be able to live in peace with your Heavenly Father who gave himself, talking about Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Notice that he, notice what he's trying to do here. The gospel message and what Jesus did he gave himself up for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Why doesn't it say that we, so that we can go and fix this evil world? You notice the wording here. He's trying to deliver us from it. That leads me to think that this evil world is going to be here and maybe get even more evil up into the day that he returns and what he's doing by what he, he did here and giving himself up for us, that he's delivering us from this. We, remember, we're to be sanctified, which means to be set apart. And God even mentions in Jeremiah, at the beginning of Jeremiah, that he knew him before he was formed in his mother's womb. And while he was developing in his mother's womb, he sanctified him which means he set him apart for a purpose to be a prophet to Israel. All while he was inside of his mother's womb. It makes me think of uh, the Pregnancy Resource Center and how precious every single baby is when they're inside of their mother's womb. That should be the safest place ever that they'll ever live. But in today's world, it's a very dangerous place to be. Very dangerous place for a little baby to be is inside of his mother's womb. That's why there's a pregnancy resource center to try to minister to those who find out they're pregnant. <clears throat> trying to give them all the answers, trying to give them what they need to know about life. Now, if we were, so, so a lot of people, they, 
and, and, and they don't, they don't, they may not, and I'm talking about people in general, they will look at a church or look at Christian activity, uh, becoming a Christian and spreading the gospel. They, nah, nah, that's not for me. This world is really messed up, and I'm going to go into public office, and I'm going to try to change the world. I'm going to make the world a better place. Or they'll go into some organization that can go feed hungry people over on another part of the world, and they just really feel good about themselves for doing that. And those things are needed, and I'm glad people do them. But if that's all they ever do, just try to fix all the problems of the world, this doesn't apply to them. This salvation that Christ offers is to deliver us from this evil world. And so, like Adrian Rogers says a lot, or used to say back in the day, he would say, those people who are doing all those other things, they're just making the world a better place to go to hell from. Right? Now, as Christians, we are to go do those great things too. But we're doing it to save the souls. And in the process, we make sure that needs are met. But, the, but the, it's not, we're not doing it to make the world a better place. We're to make the people a better people by knowing God. And, and you know what happens when you change the hearts of people with the salvation message? They quit cheating people, they quit killing people, they look after others, they quit thinking so much about themselves and they look out for others. When a, when a heart is truly changed, people are what make everything better, not just going out and fixing all the problems. Uh, <clears throat> you got a leaky roof and you say, oh, a bucket, yeah, that's the, yeah I'll just put a bucket there. And the water just dripped in the bucket. Yeah, we got that. Then another, uh, we, we need more buckets. And you put another bucket in, and you can just stay real busy. It, it, all kinds of problems that we can just come up with, the committee, and we, a bucket committee. Yeah, oh, yeah, we're doing great work. And look at all these things that we're doing. It's like, well, it's time out. Go to the source of the problem and fix it there, and you don't, you're not all, you can put your efforts into something else. Just fix the real problem. But we're consumed with all the problems of the world, and we never do anything to really fix them. We're just treating all the symptoms. Running around the world treating symptoms when we got to get them focused on what fixes all that, and that's a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then all kinds of other things fix themselves. <clears throat> Five, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's his little introduction. So you get five verses of some, you know, neat little things that he says. Pretty cool. So you can't get past five verses without him getting to the real issue. And his tone changes quite a bit in six. He says, I marvel. I, sometimes I say, I just don't understand. <laughs> I get picked on for that. I just don't understand. You get so aggravated. And that's what Paul's saying right here. 
I marvel. He's, his mind is blown. How, how is it that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel? Remember, a, a, a gospel is just good news. Now, the, the gospel that we preach, we talk about, we, you know what that is. But there's other gospels that get brought in that are juiced up. Hot rod versions. Makes it better, more enticing. So another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we... So what what he's saying right here... Pay very close attention. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Notice he didn't say an angel from God. He said an angel from heaven. Because there's there's plenty of angels running around that fell from heaven. But he's saying there there could be an actual angel that could come and preach some other message. Let him be accursed. And the very next verse says, As we said before, so say, say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that we have received, let him be accursed. So he's that that's a pretty stiff punishment for these false teachers. If they're coming in and they might, like I said, they'll say a lot of the right things. They might even be really good at stirring up emotions or being funny and, and, and uh, making people laugh. They, they have a great personality and they come in and, and people want to listen to them, but they add in a little something. <clears throat> Let them be accursed. Strong. Verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. How many times have you heard me say that before? I, got, I can't be a person pleaser. I have to be a God pleaser. A lot of people who have not been happy with things that I've preached on. So I line up with this right here. So I'm good. I'm happy that not everybody's pleased with what I've taught, preached. I've seen it for years. And I've been encouraged by people say, well, you must be doing something right. If you run up, if you run off... Uh, quite a few, you're probably doing what's right. It, it, nobody likes it. Though. I don't like, when I, going to the jail all those years, there were certain people that came in and I would preach about something and I could see them change. I could just see the, they, they didn't like it. And they may not come back again. I, I can still see faces that, you know, just smiling, happy, and you know, so glad to be in there. We're just going through the scripture and, you know, when, at the jail, pretty much 
every time I taught there, it was word, like what I'm doing tonight. It's word for word out of the Bible. Uh, here I've done many topical. But there it was mostly expository word. I didn't want to skip a word. And I'd get into some issues that I knew wasn't going to go over well with some of these guys in there. And I would just go right into it. And it would turn them. I mean, I could see their faces get very upset. And, and some of them didn't come back. <clears throat> and I hated that. I desperately wanted everybody to come back. I'm, I'm like, please, don't let this bother you. Because next week we'll be down here and you're going to like it a lot better. Don't, don't make a decision just based on what we did tonight. Because there'd be guys that might have been there for the first time. They finally got on the list and they show up. And that's what we happen to be talking about next. And I, I remember begging guys, please don't let one night decide whether you want to come back or not. Give me another chance. Come back. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was, was told the gospel by Jesus Christ himself. That's what made him an actual apostle. Now, men today might have the gift of apostle, but they're not apostles in the same sense that these guys were. The apostles in the, in the Bible that we, we know about, the twelve to start with, and then the others that came along afterwards, basically it was Paul, and then there, was, then there were just ministers and people who just did the work of the Lord so different people have different definitions on, on what an apostle actually is, this type of apostle, and actually seeing the Lord face-to-face, being with him, would qualify you. That's why the original disciples would be apostles. Then Paul came along, and he wasn't with Jesus, hadn't seen him, but then he saw him, and, we, and to see Jesus after his being in his glorified body, when he came back down and knocked Paul off his horse, the brightness blinded him. He saw him for a second, and then he was blinded. And he was spoken to by Jesus himself. He was actually spoken to. So today, you could have the gift of prophet prophecy, which, which will, will weird some people out if you say you have the gift of prophecy. Well... If you mean by that that you have some new thing that God gave you, and then you need to tell people about it, that's a problem. But if you're just really gifted in prophecy to where you're just living your life, you're doing things, and then situations come up, questions are asked, and you just speak the word. It's in you, and you speak it out, and you just have this gift of speaking the right scripture at the right time, you may have the gift of prophecy. Because all that means is speaking the Word of God. That's all it means. Uh, the gift of being an apostle. That would be someone like Cousin Mike who goes over to Africa to start a church over there. That He probably has the gift of being an apostle. He's not an apostle in that sense that we see in the Bible here, but he is going forth and taking the Word and actually setting up things there. 
the Apostle Paul went to several different places on his missionary journeys and set up churches. He put the right people in place and went to the next and kept going. Made a big circle. Then he went and did it again. And then he did it again. So he's because of the people who are trying to give him a bad name saying, well, he's not one of the originals and he, you can't really trust what he says. Now he's defending himself here. Notice what he says in the 11th, first part of 11. But I certify you. If you don't have, if you're not certified or bona fide, <laughs> you, know, you don't have the paperwork to say, yeah. Now he's talking about how he's, he is certified to do what he's doing because got it directly by revelation from Jesus Christ. 13, for ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion. Notice that. It says the Jews' religion. So really the religion is not a, really, it's not a good thing. For somebody to call you religious, now they may mean it in the sincere, sincerest sense. They may, just because they don't know better, but if somebody calls me religious, I would get offended at that. But if they didn't know any better, they might be giving me a compliment. You know, I know uh, a lady that I used to do work for, and she's like, she would say, oh, he's, Sean, he's just, he's a religious man. He's a really religious man. But she meant it in a good way. And I knew, I knew that. So it didn't, that didn't offend me. But to be religious is really not good. And then if you notice the word religion in Scripture, if you go to your concordance and you look up religion and you search out all the places, you'll see things like this. The Jews' religion. Was anything good about it? Nope. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. That was Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. That's what he did. And profited in the Jews' religion, there it is again, above many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions, traditions of my fathers. So he, he's telling them, look, I'm the last person that any man would have picked to do this, and rightly so. If, if anybody... If anybody was going to mix in a little bit of uh, law and Judaism to Christianity, you would think it would be him. He's bragging about how he was all into it. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. Something to brag about. In another place, he brags about all those things. He is saying that if anybody was to do this, to br try to bring in the Jews' religion, it would be me, and why am I not doing it? Because he heard the gospel from Jesus. He was zealous of the tradition of his fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, that's why this is in my mind, talking about Jeremiah being in his mother's womb, and why I made those comments earlier, and called me by his grace. 
Paul understood he did not deserve it. He was the worst of the worst. He, if, God, if Jesus would have showed up and gave him what he deserved, it would have been a real quick trip to hell. And Paul would have been, I deserved it. That's exactly where I should have been sent. But by grace, and that grace is what? God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches or God's righteousness, you know, you, you, can, you can make different words here, at Christ's expense. Okay, 16. To rev- I stole that from Adrian Rogers. A lot of stuff I do I stole from other people, of course, because I have learned these things over time. Jesus Christ didn't come to me directly and give me what he gave Paul. But I've learned things, and I've got people that I, that I love from years gone by that I, uh, gave me the ability to do what I can do. But it is Jesus who they pointed me to. All those men pointed me to Jesus to reveal His Son, capital S, in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, what did he do in those three years? He went off pretty much, it doesn't say where he went, who he went to see, who he hung around. Was he all by himself? Was God teaching him? Was he getting a a class from God himself? Did Jesus teach him for three years? When you see what Paul was able to do, and notice that then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, just to see him. Not to say, Peter, will you teach me all you know? It was almost like Paul could say, I can teach you some things. After being three years meditating praying, searching the Scriptures, communicating with God one-on-one. Wow. So he went to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So he's off for three years, getting prepared for his ministry. Then he only hangs out with Peter for uh, 15 days. And he says, But other of the apostles saw I none, well, except for James, save James, the Lord's brother, Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed, and they glorified God in me. When they saw, you know, when you get the roughest, I mean, foul-mouthed, hard-hearted, roughest dude in town, and you're able to minister to that person, and they have a life-changing experience, people take notice. And when somebody like that 
is now living for the Lord, people will glorify God because of what God did for that person. And people say, wow, if he can, if he can save that person, he can definitely save me. That's chapter 1 of Galatians. We're done. We are done. So, as we, you know, in the future, next week, we'll, I guess, uh, next Wednesday night, we can continue right on with this. And now that I got one out of the way, we should be able to cover the next five, you know, one week, right? We go right on through this. It's only six chapters. Has, uh, has anybody read uh, Pilgrim's Progress? Anybody read that? Pilgrim's Progress? Shara, you've read it? Pretty cool, isn't it? You like that book? You know who wrote it? You remember? Hmm? John Bunyan. Yeah, John Bunyan. And he wrote it back in the 1600s. I've read a couple chapters of it. It's, I'm ashamed to say that I've never read it all the way through. I'm ashamed to say that I have a copy of Pilgrim's Progress that I bought probably 20, 25 years ago. And it's sitting on a shelf, probably up in Joseph's room, on a bookshelf. And it's, it's the, the, the way they wrote it, the old English language, I struggled with it. And I have a newer version of it, it's an illustrated version of it. The words are a little bit more, uh, you know, modern English friendly as far as being able to read this. But uh, I've seen the movie. And I'm sure there's been, other, there's been several versions of the movie based on the book. But John Bunyan was in England back in the 1600s. And it, you, you were to conform to the state religion. And those who did not do that were called nonconformist. So he was more in line with the Baptists, but the nation of uh, Great Britain, so England, they, they uh, brought in the Anglicans. It was, the, it was an Anglican church. And you had to be part of that or you were breaking the law. That was in the 1600s. So John Bunyan got thrown in jail for preaching the gospel as an independent. Because he would not conform. And he did some great work in jail. He took, uh, he took what he knew about the Apostle Paul doing some great work in prison, and he did the same thing. And he, so, so Pilgrim's Progress, I, I suggest anybody read it. Uh, most people from years gone by have read it. You know, you take our grandparents, and you go on back in time, they, they all, it was something that everybody wanted to read. Any Christian person would want to read it. If I remember right, the first chapter alone has like 40, over 40 references to Scripture. So the things that are said is referring to Scripture. And then you go read a little bit more of the story. So it's a fictional story. And all the characters have really cool names, like Christian. Uh, you have uh, Pliable. You have uh, Mr. Worldly Wiseman, Evangelist. Christian meets Evangelist, and the Evangelist tells Christian where he needs to go. See that gate way, way over yonder, that really narrow gate up? Yeah, that's it. You need to go to that gate. 
So he's so Christian's on his way. He's going to that narrow gate, and uh, Mr. Worldly Wiseman meets him and shares a lot of really cool things that make a lot of sense. Yeah, you need to go over there and talk to Mr. Legality. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a great idea. So he goes to over there to try to find Mr. Legality. And when he gets there, the mountain is just so steep, and it's overhanging him, and it looks like it's going to fall down on him and kill him. And he just doesn't know what went wrong. There's another, uh, like this uh, uh, slew of despair or despond. Yeah, it's despond, like a pond. And he's, he's down in that, and he gets all... Uh, it, so, he, so it's all these little things that he comes in contact with. So then Evangelist shows back up and says, why are you way over here? You're supposed to be going to the narrow gate. He's like, yeah, no, but I ran into this man, uh, and, and uh, Evangelist like, it wasn't Mr. Worldly Wiseman, was it? He's like, yeah, that's what it was. Ah, uh, you know, so he's getting back on course. So there, he's at the point now where he's going to be going, so he gets through the gate and he gets instructions from in the gate, but all the characters have names like that, and it is brilliantly done. So, another book to read. Yeah. But see what we went over today? Look at what we're going over right now. The law and grace, trying to mix it, and how easy it is for Mr. Worldly Wiseman to get us to go see Mr. Legality makes sense to the human mind. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. Father, we thank you for these people that come together who want to do your work. And Father, I pray that your word changes us that every time we get into your word, we read it. We look at those who have great testimonies throughout time that are able to go through things and, and, and be victorious because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we would be a people who not just come to church to talk about these things and to read your word and pray and then go out into the world and be different. I, I pray that we'll be the same when we go out. Father, help us to go back to our homes and, and be an example there as well. Father, we, we've all failed. We've all failed and come short. But Father, we ask that you would help us, that you would maybe fix some of our mistakes by, by just sending the Holy Spirit to, to soften hearts, open up eyes and open up ears. And Father, just give us the uh, ability to notice those situations that are an opportunity that you've set up and that we would have the boldness to speak your word to them, to share your love with them. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.